This is recording number 11050 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, May 12, 2013. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, A Mother's Miracle. One Woman's Journey to Faith. We're going to be talking today about a mother's miracle, the story of one woman's journey to faith. Now, if you're not a woman, don't tune me out, (laughs) because the things that we're going to read about, the things that we're going to talk about today out of God's Word as we make our way through this story and, and just kind of observe what happens are applicable to any of us as we move from hopelessness into faith. Now we're going to be dropping into a story and you kind of need to know a little bit of the backstory, I think or it won't make sense. So this guy Elijah, he was a prophet. A prophet, um, you know, our, our, typically our notions of a prophet these days have either to do with, you know, people who are telling you what's going to happen in the coming years, you know, or the end of, the, end of uh, time is coming, or that kind of thing. Most of us just reject those people as crackpots and stuff, and, they, and most of the time they are. The other thing that we think about when people use the word prophet is usually the guy with the sandwich board, sandwich board sign, you know, out on the corner, you know, barking like a, you know, a, a what do you call him, a carnival... Carney, that's the word, and, and has on his little sign, you know, turn or burn or, you know, you filthy rotten sinners, God hates you, that kind of thing, you know. We tend to think of those sorts of people. And, you know, Elijah was not anything like that. What, what he was was a spokesman for God. The prophets in the Bible were people who spoke for God. And so the people of of uh, the Jewish people are divided at this point into two kingdoms. Ten, the ten, or ten of the tribes of Israel, the northern ten, ten tribes, had uh, uh, become what was known as the nation of Israel. The southern t- uh, two tribes of the Jews had become Judah. And so you have these two uh, kingdoms within the, the Jewish people. The northern tribes at this point were governed by or led by a king named Ahab and his queen Jezebel and they were extremely wicked, idolatrous people and they had led uh, Israel into great sin. And although Elijah and other prophets had been saying, look, you've turned away from God. Turn back to him. Turn back to him. This is ruining you. This is destroying you. This is corrupting you. But they weren't listening. And in fact, they were only deepening their sin. And so finally God says to Elijah, Elijah, I'm going to pull the plug on these people. Unless they turn from me. Or turn back to me. And he says to Elijah, I want you to tell them that as a last resort, as, as a last attempt on my part to get their attention, I'm going to bring about a drought. 
So Elijah goes to King Ahab and he says that. He says, you know, God is, is uh, he's uh, had enough of your evil and your wickedness and your extreme sin. And in order to get your attention, he's tried everything else. In order to get your attention so that you'll t potentially turn back to him, he's going to uh, create a drought. So that and it's not going to rain again until I say so. Elijah says this. And then as you can imagine, Elijah needs to get out of there pretty quickly. <laughs> because Ahab's not real happy. And the Lord directs Elijah to a place called the Brook of Cherith. And the Lord says to him, Elijah, I'm going to sustain you here during this season of drought. So he has water from the brook. And it says that the ravens brought him food to sustain him during that season. However, towards the end of this long period of drought, the, the brook Cherith dries up. And the Lord instructs Elijah now to travel outside of the boundaries of national Israel to a place called Sidon and to a city called Zarephath. And that's where we sort of pick up the story in verse 8 of chapter 17 verse, uh, of 1 Kings. Then the word of the Lord came to him, that's Elijah, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please bring me a little water and a cup that I may drink. And she was going to get it. <clears throat> excuse me. And, and as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So get the picture. I mean, it's a drought, right? This woman and, and everyone has nothing. He pulls into town. He says to her, Would you, would you get me something to drink? And it might, there may have been just a little bit of hesitation on her part. It doesn't say so. But I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't be surprised if she had to think that one through for a moment. But then she turns to go get him something to drink. And he calls after her. And oh, oh by the way, uh, something to eat as well. And, and that's the straw that breaks the camel's back. Verse 12. So she said, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread. Only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. There's no, there's no more pathetic passage in all of scripture, I don't think, than this one. This woman, you know, she's, she can't believe the audacity of this guy to ask her for something to eat. And uh, her response is, you don't get it to you. I don't have anything to give you to eat. I got a little, little bit of flour, a little bit of oil. I'm, I'm gathering a couple of sticks to make a fire to cook up this little bit of stuff. And then me and my son are going to eat and die. You want to join us in that one? I added that last part. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said. It's interesting. He says, okay, don't be afraid. Go ahead. Make your cake, your, your, your fire, your cake. Eat it and get ready to die. <laughs> uh, go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me. And afterward, make some for yourself. 
and afterward make some for yourself and your son. I must say that one more time. And afterward make some for yourself and your son. See, she didn't think there would be an afterward. So we'll come back to that. Verse 14. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. And she and her household ate for many days. We don't know how long. We don't know, uh, you know, it just says many days. Could have been a month. Could have been a couple of months. Uh, could have been a week. We don't know. But for some period of time, her flour does not run out. Her oil does not run dry. And not only is she and her son taken care of, but also her household. Now that's interesting. Because, you know, verse before, she doesn't have a household. It's just her and her son. Now she has a household. And I'm thinking, if you're starving, and you're in a season of drought, and you find a woman who seems to always have something to eat, you might want to figure out a way to get related to her. And so she's got a household now, and they're all eating just fine. Verse 16. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar, jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. Now, all I want to do today, and, I, and I, you're, some of you are looking at your watch or looking back there like I am on that clock. I'm doing both, looking at my watch and looking at that, just to assure you that I know what time it is. That we're getting late here. And so I'm, I'm not going don't, to, don't panic. This is not going to be a long, uh, tedious message. I'm going to do two things. I'm going to make, make our way back through that and just make some observations that I think will help to take this story and apply it to your circumstances. Then we're going to watch a short video and then we're going to go home. Is that alright? Mm -hmm. Alright. First of all, I want you to notice that this woman, we're going to talk about three things that uh, we observe about this lady. And then we're going to talk about five things that we see about God here. Okay. First of all, this lady lived in the shadow of a broken dream. She did not sign up for widowhood. As she was a young girl imagining her life, I'll guarantee you she wasn't planning on being alone, having her husband die. But a lot of us know what that feels like. A lot of us know what it feels like to have life turn out in a way that you didn't anticipate or expect. We know what it's like to, be, uh, to have dreams just crumble and fall apart before us. She did. But not only that, she was coping with sin's fallout. Because a lot of what happens when our dreams collapse around us is a result of our own sin. But, but you know, I'm really not interested in, in laying a bunch of stuff at the feet of this woman in terms of you know, responsibility for her situation. I, I don't think that's appropriate. But she was, she does live in a world corrupted by sin, just like you and I do. And a lot of the stuff that happens to us is the result of the fact that we live in a world scarred, deeply scarred by sin. And the corporate effect of all our rebellion against God is pretty horrific when you think about it. It was never God's intention that men or women be raising children alone as this woman was. 
That's, that wasn't in the heart of God. That wasn't his plans. But there is stuff that you and I face as simply the result of the fact that we live in a world so polluted by sin that it looks very, that, it, that there's not much that resembles what God intended for this world to be. So that's true of her. It was true, that's true of many of us as well. And then she was feeling hopeless. Now hopelessness is when you've lost sight of an afterword. I repeated that word three times when we were reading the passage because it's, a, it's important to what follows. She had lost sight of there ever being an afterward. She assumed this was the end. Her pathetic statement, I'm going to make a cake, we're going to eat it and die. That's it. When you lose hope, it's because you've lost sight of the fact that there's anything beyond these desperate circumstances that you find yourself in. My, I said this a couple of weeks ago, so forgive me for mentioning it again, but my wife just straight up asked me one time when I was going through that kind of a thing, and she said, Randy, do you have hope? And I had to think about that one for a while. So I know what it's like to feel hopeless. And yeah, you know what, you can carry on with your, your life. You can, you can go to work every day. You can, you can even survive fair, fairly well, but it isn't, it isn't fun. Because hopelessness just brings everything into a very small, constricted place. That's where she was. But God was determined not to leave her there. And it's interesting, there's this macro story unfolding, right? Of the drought and God's dealing with the people of Israel and King Ahab and Jezebel and what he's doing with, with uh, Elijah. But God has not forgotten this woman who we don't even know her name. The widow of Zarephath is all we know her by. God had not forgotten her. And right now, it may be that you feel like God has forgotten you, but he has not. Let me assure you, whatever circumstances you find yourself in, whatever the macro condition of the world around you and all of the other things that you think are keeping God busy, he has not forgotten you. And he wades into that circumstance in the, in the person of, of uh, Elijah and speaks life to this woman and it doesn't sound like it at first. But these are the things, these are the paving stones that lead a person out of hopelessness into that realm of God's blessing that comes on the heels of faith. First, he called her to look beyond her situation. That's tough to do when you're hopeless because that's the, that's the definition of hopelessness. But it is essential if you're going to move beyond that. To let God begin to lift your vision. To begin to anticipate that because of who he is, there can be an afterward. And then he beckoned her to trust him. Wow, that had to be hard. <laughs> I mean, she's looking at a handful of flour and a little bit of oil and this guy's asking her to make a cake for him first. That had to have been a tough call. Look, I've never been hungry in my whole life. I'm sure even as a baby screaming for my mom to feed me, even then I probably wasn't hungry. I just didn't know what else to do. <laughs> now, I know that's not true for many people, even here in the United States. But certainly in other parts of the world. There's, there's uh, people 
literally dying of hunger right now. Well, that's where this woman was. And for him to beckon her to trust him, that was a tough call. And yet that's another one of these, these stepping stones that lead out of that place of hopelessness. And she takes it. She steps into it. And then he challenged her to put him first. He didn't say, okay, if there's anything left over, then make me a cake. He said, make me a cake first. I am almost always giving God my leftovers. The leftovers of my time. Oh God, you know, if, if, I, if I don't fall asleep before, uh, you know, I get to it, I'll try to read your word. You know, that kind of thing. I'm, I'm often giving God my leftovers of my time, the leftovers of my money, the leftovers of my creativity, the leftovers of my initiative, the leftovers of my passion. When I've spent it on everything else, if there's anything left, I will bring it to God. Ask yourself today, who gets the firsts of your initiative? Who gets the firsts of your creativity? Who gets the firsts of your passion? Who gets the firsts of your money? You know, just yesterday, I think it was, or the day before. I don't mean to derail this by talking about giving, financial giving, because it's not about that. But I was up there in my little uh, crow's nest and pulled out my, my checkbook and wrote my tithe check for the month. And I asked myself, not for the first time, why don't you just, send, why don't you just do this electronically through your bank? And I, and I found myself answering myself. This is, you know, I know it sounds psychotic that I'm having this, this <laughs> conversation with myself, but you think what you want. Anyway, so I, I, gave myself, I gave myself the same answer I've given myself before, and I guess I forgot it. But anyway, the, the, I told myself, no, the reason I do this is so that I know that I'm not giving God just the leftovers after everything else is paid, that I am giving him the firsts. And that's how I do it. It's not for anyone else. But I want to make sure I'm giving God the firsts, my best. Does your employer get your, the best of your creativity? I'm not asking, I'm not suggesting that you, you don't give your best at work, but I, ah, there's, there's something we got to think about there. And the Lord says, if you want to step out of hopelessness into faith, you're going to have to trust me with your firsts. Trust me first. But then he provides for her in this miraculous way. And God, by the way, still works miracles, dear ones. He still works miracles. And he will for you too. When you trust him, when you give him first place in your life, when you look beyond your current circumstances, he's going to show you there is an afterword. Now finally, the last thing I want to observe here is that the blessing that she received of this, uh, of this flour that didn't run out and the oil that, that didn't run dry only continued until the drought ended. Now, it wasn't that God abandoned her at that point. But God's blessings to us are transitional. They're not temporary. Listen to me. They are not temporary. Because see, when God blesses us, 
We tend to think, oh man, I better hold on to this because it's only temporary. I better squeeze every drop of this, uh, out of this that I can because who knows what's coming next, right? And we tend to kind of, Christians tend to sort of get stuck at places holding on to some blessing that God has poured out to them that's, you know, no longer appropriate. It's no longer even effective. God is always in the process of moving us from one season to the next. You may not like this, but life unfolds episodically for us, dear ones. It, it, it unfolds in, in segments or seasons or episodes, however you want to describe it. We all want just one long episode that we you know, can just you know, kick back and relax and we know how it's going to go, we're comfortable. In it. it doesn't work that way. And God's blessings are transitional. They take, us from, they take us through one season, but then we check that one at the door and there's another season that opens up and additional blessing that comes or another form of blessing that comes. And as long as you choose to hold tightly to what's gone before, you're going to have trouble making the transition into what's coming now. Those transition points from what you know to what you don't yet know, those are the toughest parts of the Christian life. But they are the most important. And, you know, this woman drops off the pages of Scripture pretty much right after this. But I know in my own life that there's, it's never the end of the story. It's the end of a chapter and the beginning of the next. 